Hi, my name is Kirk Kovac, and I'm here with Sogcast. I'm interviewing Ashley Corker, who is the co-founder of Proto 101, a very interesting uh, company that is making our clothing more sustainable. So Ashley, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thanks for having me, Kara. So this is a topic that obviously affects everyone because not only do we, not everyone needs to have clothes, but also people really like clothes. So it's a subject that uh, is fun and is also really affects us in our everyday lives. And I don't think, I don't think people really, even myself included, understand the extent of how much our clothing and the materials can affect us and affect our health. So I would love to ask you, first of all, to just go into a bit of your background and then why did you decide to co-found this company? Yeah, so I've been in the e-commerce space for the last, call it 10 years. I was at Amazon for a while and then Wayfair, which um, is in the home space, and then back at Amazon. And I've had a number of positions there ranging from I've led pricing teams, I've led supply chain teams, operation teams, merchandising teams, data science teams, product teams. And so seen a lot of the retail and a lot of how the sausage gets made. And I think after spending all that time, my co-founders and I really felt like we could improve upon the supply chain for clothing and bring a better product to customers and a product that they could feel good about knowing that the supply chain was a little bit cleaner than the traditional clothing retailers, maybe. And so when you say, because I know that, so sustainability in supply chain is a very like hot topic right now, but there's a lot of people who still don't know what that means. So can you uh, just explain that? Yeah. And I think that's a, a great question because it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. The biggest impact from like a climate change and carbon perspective for clothing tends to be just how much of it we buy. And so when we think about like fast fashion, if you're, you know, having 24 new launches of product sort of fashion cycles a year. That's really encouraging people to buy a lot more clothing. One of the main things that we think about is how can we from a make product that A, is going to last a really long time, and both from like a quality perspective, but also from a fashion perspective. And so we don't believe that you need the latest <laughs> new thing. We want to make products that will look good season after season. We think that making uh, better quality, longer lasting products is one of the be best things that we can do for reducing that carbon um, footprint. And then there's also what fibers go into your clothing. There are some fibers that are a lot, they take a lot less water, a lot less chemicals, don't rely on sort of deforestation to produce. There's also recycled materials. So the material and what goes into the product is also a big part of sustainability. Then there's a question of how it gets to you as a customer. A lot of retailers will put it on an airplane versus ocean. And that obviously like has a lot bigger carbon footprint than a container ship and how far it goes is also a pretty big impact. And so there's lots of things you can do to sort of offset that, but not putting it on an airplane is like a big one. And then there's like smaller things, which is like the packaging. Is it recyclable? Is there less of it? Returns is a big piece of the puzzle that people don't necessarily think about. If you're having a high return rate, you're sort of having to ship that back or a customer is getting in the car and bringing it back to the store. And so that definitely impacts and some of that clothing cannot be sold again. So that's just sort of a wasted bit. So thinking about how if companies can think about how to ha have fewer returns by getting the sizing right the first time, it can go a long way to reducing that impact. And then like retail stores have a big big footprint, just like air conditioning and um, the building of the store 
and the parking lots of people that get there. And so that that's another piece of, of the pie for the impact. So, and, and speaking of like larger companies, so I have seen large retailers that are interested in taking a more sustainable approach to their supply chain or to their clothing products, but it seems like it's often like like a big challenge there. So what you hypothesize would be the reason that large corporations might struggle or don't often enough incorporate sustainability into their supply chain. I think that there's a couple different reasons at play and it might vary by company, but I think there's a bit of this idea of like why Blockbuster didn't go build or buy Netflix. They had the opportunity because it's, you have this business model that is working and to do something new would mean throwing away the business model that you had to try something that is smaller, nascent, unproven customer demand. And that can be scary for these big companies that are sort of addicted to growth and have to meet a bottom line. And so they have all this infrastructure around to support it. So I think that is a big component of it. I think also from just like a a cost structure, right? Like these products tend to be more expensive. And if you have run your business on a certain margin for a really long time at a certain price point, it can be really difficult to shift that cost and margin profile and still make money. And the other thing is it just takes like you have to set up a new supply chain in a lot of these instances or work with your existing vendor base to do things a little bit differently. And that takes time and money to do. And so you're, you are making that investment that can feel a little bit scary for these big companies. And I love how you said that addicted to growth. I think that's a, I think that's a perfect thing. I think we could say that in so many different businesses. And I think which would be great to talk about why do we and this can go to even beyond just to larger like environmental concerns. Why do we care about these types of things? As you've said, if people like the, the term, the tried and true method. They like to know what's going to work for them, what's going to keep their business growing. So why do we care about incorporating these healthier practices into our clothing? Is it offering us health benefits? Is it offering us like, what are the benefits that we could see by making a transition like this? Yeah. And I think that from the standpoint of like, climate change being also like a public health issue. It's definitely there sort of broadly. The clothing, depending on like what study you look at, clothing makes up somewhere between four and 7% of carbon emissions. And so it's like a pretty big impact on conversation about around climate change. From like an individual's health perspective, a a lot of clothing not a lot, but there, there is clothing that has like harmful chemicals in it. And if you are not a supplier that is, or not a retailer who's doing the the responsible work of having that stuff tested, which is expensive to do, Mm -hmm. then there's a, a chance that those chemicals will end up like on your skin. So in, I've worked closely with retailers who they were doing testing and found like formaldehyde in shirts. And so thank goodness they were doing the testing because then they, you know, knew that they they couldn't sell it. But, you know, other retailers that are operate on a lower cost structure will cut out that testing and won't, would never have caught the fact that there was like formaldehyde. There's a similar instance of, with lead in sunglasses, which is not clothing, but still in the fashion space. And so you sort of want a retailer that is doing that testing and holding their manufacturers responsible for not putting those harmful chemicals sort of close to your body. So do we, so do retailers, do a lot of these businesses really know what's even like 
in the clothes that they're selling? Do they know to the extent that detailed information or is it kind of nebulous? I think it depends on the retailer. Some of some retailers are really good about making sure that they are doing that testing and certification before it gets it leaves the factories. Others are not. It tends to be the ones that are, if you're operating more in a fast fashion world, you're probably less likely to be doing some of that testing. And you're also more likely to sort of be subject to uh, subcontracting, which is when you sort of contract with a factory and they say, okay, I don't have bandwidth for this. I'm going to go put it to another factory. And so you lose a lot of traceability. You might have had full trust in that one factory, but now you don't know where it is and you don't know sort of what practices they're doing, what dyes they're using, what treatments they're using on the fabric. So, and for, so for your products, how do you ensure that workers are treated fairly or that these chemicals aren't being used? How does your process work? Yeah, so we um, have a number of certifications that are sort of tested and audited that we rely on. We are a small team, and but the, thankfully there are experts that will go and, and do this and do really intensive. It's not just a one-time thing and it's not planned. They're surprised day of, and so you can't hide a lot of things. And so we do, like we have at Okatex 100 as a certification to make sure like these, the top 100 probable harmful chemicals are not in the front. We have a bunch of certifications up on the front end of our fibers that happen before the fiber even goes to the mill to be woven into fabric. And then with our factories, we do a bunch of sort of social responsibility audits, and that's making sure that the health and safety of the workers there are met and sort of meet a high standard. We're fortunate in a lot of our suppliers we've been working with in various capacities for like decades. And so we have a really high degree of trust. Um, so it's sort of like trust, but verify situation, but the things that you want to look for or that we look for is like that the building is safe. That means like fire exits and there's no danger. There's not a danger of fire that the, the electricity is sort of wired correctly. You look for things that, that you want to make sure that wages aren't withheld, that that factories aren't sort of holding passports for employees and so that they, they're sort of forced to work there, that there's reasonable working hours. People aren't working, you know, 20 hour days and that sort of thing. And now in the COVID too, you want to make sure that they're safe working conditions um, from a COVID perspective. So I, though I don't have, I don't have a treasure trove of knowledge. I do, I mean, I do know, and as many others do too, that supply chain and sourcing products is often a global endeavor, like working with other countries. So do you notice that this push for, you know, more transparency in the supply chain is something that is going on globally? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has global reach. I think we, when we started these conversations with our supplier base, they were, or not from a social responsibility, they weren't new. But when we talk about like sustainable practices, those were new conversations that we were just starting to have with our suppliers and other vendors had start, or other sort of retailers had started to have conversations with them too. But they are new and they are sort of far reaching. And the factories are businesses too. And so they're trying to, look ahead and see what the demand is for this sort of stuff before they make investments in increasing the energy efficiency of their machinery and things like putting solar panels on their factory. And so they're they're starting to think about it. For instance, we 
were some of the first people to ask for recycled polyester from the mill that has worked with like very large retailers. And so they went and they, you know, helped us build out that supply chain. And so these things are starting to happen. And the more that retailers start to ask for them and be willing to pay for them, which comes from customers being willing to pay for them, they will start to to spread. And some of this stuff does make at some point makes economic sense once you make a a larger investment um, in some of these places like solar totally makes sense because it's just cheaper than other energy. So, And what can't be underestimated, there have been price figures correlating to this, but to not have, to not expose yourself long-term to dangerous chemicals, you don't know about what effect they could be having on you is actually, people have calculated the cost associated with that. So there is a real long-term benefit, which can sometimes be sometimes we're so fixated on the growth but when you I mean when you think about it like health is kind of priceless though (laughs) yeah yeah and I'm glad you brought that up I think it's so hard though to it's hard to take something nebulous and bring it that cost into the future but it is super super important to all of us for sure yeah what are the challenges that you've experienced bringing about these sustainable standards into the business? Have, were, there, were there difficulties you had to navigate in ensuring your products were truly healthier than the traditional items in the market? Yeah, we we definitely, like I sort of mentioned, it was new. A lot of these processes were new. We were developing fabric and working with fabrics and fibers that our mills had never worked with before. And so that's just a question of helping convince them to make that investment for us. And it takes a lot of iteration, right? When fabric development is actually takes a lot of expertise. And so and it takes a lot of iteration to do something new and it's not off the shelf. So some instances, if you have like 100% cotton at a certain weight, you can just get it off the shelf and you're not spending like months and months developing it. So that was a big challenge for us, which is like, how do we take these new, more sustainable fibers and make a fabric that feels amazing um, and go through several tests and iterations to do that just took a long time. And then there's all the certifications that can take a long time and can be expensive, but definitely help make sure that the product is safe and sustainable for people. So if customers were to, if they are interested in, you know, purchasing products that meet these standards, what is it they should be looking for when they're looking for what to buy? Yeah. And it, it's hard because there's not like a great standard, like organic in, the, or like there is in food for clothing. The Okatex 100 is a good certification for having no harmful chemicals. Not all retailers will sort of like actively, there's not, there's not a great like database where you can filter and say like, these are the suppliers that do this. There's the Better Cotton Initiative does a lot of work to make sure that there's fewer chemicals in growing the cotton and and less water. And so BCI cotton is a good sort of filter. There's also organic cotton, which can obviously like have less filters or less chemicals in it. But yeah, those are some of the things that you could look for. And there's that curiosity. So have you noticed companies that will do like greenwashing that they'll say their product is better? What are some of the things they might say that would be greenwashing? Yeah, I think there's a ton of that, particularly in the clothing, because there there aren't a lot of sort of universal standards. And so you'll see things, you'll see sustainable and with no idea really what that means. And if they're not talking or about the specifics, that can be a big red flag. Like it's, it's bamboo colored. Yeah, yeah. You'll hear like an ethical supply chain that is 
can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so again, if you're not sort of, if the companies aren't sort of linking to some of the broader definitions about what that means for them, there's a good chance that it is sort of greenwashing. So I got to ask, I've just, I've seen it so many times, but often you'll see like a product and it'll say, here's the exact farm that this was derived from. Is that a reliable metric or is that more just like pulling on our heartstrings? <laughs> yeah, it's not, uh, it doesn't give you the whole picture for sure. Um, you, that farm could be a great farm, but then the garment could travel from like the U S to China, to the mill and back again. And you have no idea what goes on at the mill or what chemicals are used in the dye process. So there's a bunch of different things that happen from the farm to the garment that you're wearing that could make that garment not be exactly what you want it. But it, you know, it's a starting point. It is an important <laughs> starting point is to know where that fiber comes from. Yeah, so so it sounds like rather than just defaulting to the this makes me feel good like argument, it's better to really look for those standards and look for, you know, those pieces that are really certifying something is what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. You want uh you, you would hope for brands to be able to talk to the specifics. And it might not be in all their advertising front and center, but you know, somewhere on their website if they go into more specifics about how they calculate the carbon footprint or like how, what certifications are using for their fiber, that's probably a good indication that they've thought about it. And you sort of want to hear them talk about it across the supply chain from the fibers to the manufacturing, to the transportation. And if you hear it across the whole supply chain, then it's probably a pretty good indication that they're being thoughtful about it. And I just, I wanted to circle back to this quickly because I want to make sure people understand the uh, importance and impact. So I think you said that clothing contributes to, did you say, was it around like 4% of total emissions globally? Yeah, 4 four to 7%, depending, yeah. So if we could put that in a, in like a, a way so people could really understand like how much that is, is that, what would you say that, so what is that equivalent to, you would say, like? Or how can we describe that in a way that people kind of be like, wow, that's... Yeah, the, uh, the, the stat that really resonates with me is that's the same as every human on the planet taking a 2,500-mile plane trip, every, like, once a year. That's, yeah. Yeah, so that's a lot. That's what I think people, and that's why, I think that's what people don't get when they hear because on the one hand, it's like, oh, 4% doesn't sound like a whole lot. But then when you actually, you know, break down what that means, it's it's, it's really significant. Yeah. And I think if you just think about like, okay, could you buy 20% less stuff or less clothing this next year? You might have to be a little bit more thoughtful about what that clothing is, but it can make a big impact on your individual carbon footprint. And so just to kind of just to wrap up. So I'm, I'm always, when people come on the podcast, I'm always interested to hear, uh, because really to be in sustainability, to be focusing on our health rather than just, I mean, don't get me wrong, like profits and that is also like very important, but like to also make, to also make health a really important like piece of that pie. What is it that, that motivated you, inspired you to, to want to go the extra mile with this? Yeah, I think climate change, you look around and it's like definitely impacting all of our lives. And I was in retail and it was, there was the easiest way for me to make an impact. And as an individual, 
I was really craving like higher quality products and sort of, I, I thought that maybe other customers were willing to sort of pay for that. And so like we spent a lot of time thinking about like a cost per wear. And so I, we, I think customers are getting a little bit like smarter or willing to think about a cost per wear instead of just a cost per garment. And so personally, I just felt like we could make a, a difference with this brand. And also it was like a product that I like personally wanted <laughs> in my life. Well, that's wonderful. And I just want to say again, I thank you for coming on because as I said, I mean, we all need this product every day. We all use it every day of, and we don't really understand kind of the impact of our purchasing decisions or the impact of what we're, we're wearing or using every day. So I think it's a really great, thing for people to think about no matter what their no matter what their level of like sustainable sustainability acumen is um yeah definitely and yeah the more people sort of buy the organic option or the sustainable option the more the supply chain will open up and sort of be willing to produce more of it so it's a good signal to the market so Ashley I want to thank you uh, again for coming on and for anyone listening if you want to find out more about Proto 101 or the great products they have, please go to their website. That's proto101.com, right, Ashley? And um, for more uh, sustainability content too, please check out selfcast.com as well. And Ashley, just thank you so much again for coming. Thanks, Kara.